Well, isn't that classic Kramer? In, uh, in response to that clip, uh, by show of hands across all of our locations, just so we can get a, a feel in the room, how many of us would say that we are drive till it's empty kind of people? How many of us are, are drive till it's empty kind of people? You know, like Kramer and the other guy in the clip, we find some sense of satisfaction, maybe even a bit of a thrill about pushing the limit on the gas, gas gauges in our tank. You know, if that's you, don't feel ashamed because for me personally, I've, I've always been a bit of a drive till it's empty, empty kind of guy with my vehicles. And uh, I think this probably started when I was, uh, first started driving. I was still living at home and I was fortunate to be driving my, my parents' vehicles. And it just worked out that every time I would bring them back to the driveway, if they were empty, my parents would be the ones to fill them up next time. So I took full advantage of that. But uh, that kind of continued even to when I moved out and uh, had my own vehicles. When Lindsay and I were first married, I was commuting to Toronto and I was driving a 1993 Honda Accord. And given the consistency of the travel route and the faithfulness of the Honda engine, I was able to, to rigorously track the kilometers, you know, before we had any of the, the mechanisms to tell us how much gas he had left. And I could get it down to having just a couple liters in the tank. And I got this strange sense of amusement from that. Um, but uh, that amusement quickly changed when I got my next vehicle. And I quickly learned that not every gas gauge is created equal. And uh, sitting on the side of the road with an empty tank of gas would quickly take the fun out of driving till it's empty. But uh, here's the thing. Whether or not you're a person who would drive your vehicle to the last drop, I think many of us are drive-till-it's-empty people on the road of life. I think many of us push ourselves to the limits, sort of draining our tanks, running our lives in such a way that we drive till we're empty. This is the kind of lifestyle that our culture seems to promote. And the problem is it wears us out and it prevents us from experiencing the life that God intends. So this morning we're launching a brand new series, this series called Life to the Full. And this series is uh, really based on a single verse. The sort of premise of it is a single verse uh, from John 10, chapter 10, that I want to read for you now. Uh, it's Jesus speaking, and he says this. Jesus saying, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. The idea here is that the Christian life, a life of following Jesus, is intended to be the most abundant, fulfilling adventurous, energizing way of life, a life that is infused by the, by the very power of God, and it's intended to be the most satisfying life that you can imagine. But because of our tendencies to often run our lives until we're on empty, I'm not sure how many of us would say we're actually living, we're actually experiencing this life to the full. So I want to start with an assessment to kind of see where we're at with this. I've got a very simple image here of a, of a gas gauge. And as you look at this, I want you to think for a moment, how full is your personal gas tank? How full is your personal gas tank? Maybe think of it this way as your emotional gas tank or, or maybe even your spiritual gas tank. You know, this weekend or in this season of life, where would you place the needle on the gas tank of your life, measuring your sense of vitality um, or energy and just kind of where you, you find yourself, your sense of purpose and fulfillment. I don't know where you would place your needle on the gas gauge of life, but I think there's probably about three zones that we could find ourselves in, three places that any of us might be. 
The first would be that your gas gauge might be feeling rather full. That you might say, you know what, for right now I'm feeling like my life is quite fulfilled. And if that's where you're at, if that's where you said you would place the needle on your gauge, first of all, I want to say that's fantastic. It's not always easy to live in that kind of zone. And uh, I don't know if this summer you've had some time, you know, some downtime, some time for vacation or, or spending time with loved ones. Uh, maybe, you know, work has been really fulfilling for you recently or you're in some new stage of life that is refreshing and exciting. But uh, if you're there, there's three things I want to say uh, to you up front. Number one, keep doing a lot of the things that you're doing to sort of sustain that spirit of, of a fullness of life. Number two, I'd want to say to you that uh, there's probably some things that you can teach others around you in this season of life because not everybody lives here. And so be mindful of how you, how you carry yourself. And number three, uh, I assume if you're like most of us, that you can relate to seasons of life where the tank is less than full. And so my hope for you is that this series uh, will provide you know, some helpful for reminders for what you can do in the seasons of life where the tank isn't quite so full. Now, secondly, sort of the second range I think many of us could fall in would be somewhere in the middle, somewhere around half full, maybe anywhere between a quarter of a tank to three quarters full. You know, you're not feeling desperate. You're not feeling totally depleted or drained. But when we talk about this idea of Jesus coming to bring life to the full, and we imagine kind of what that means, the the sense of satisfaction and purpose and fulfillment that comes from that, If you're honest with yourself, you think, you know, there's something more that you could experience. You're left lacking in some way. And if if that's where you describe your tank, anywhere in this zone, my hope is that this series helps you adopt some practices that can can allow you to grab onto more and more of the life that Jesus offers. Now, most importantly, probably for, for our conversation this morning, I imagine that some of us would feel as though our tank is approaching empty. That some of us very quickly might have said, you know what, I feel like I'm on E. I'm down here and kind of in this zone that I'll, I'll describe as the red zone. And even if you weren't sure, if you're not, you know, you'd say, I, I don't know if I'm empty, but I think many of us can relate to the feeling of teetering on the brink of exhaustion or, or knowing what it could feel like for our needle to fall to this place at any given time. And in those seasons, we feel, you know, stressed out and overwhelmed And we feel like we can't keep up with our work demands or our family demands. You know, the pressures of our social circle or or finances. And it's hard when you you live here, it's hard sometimes to to cope or stay sane, let alone feel connected to God in the midst of it all. Now, maybe you can relate to some of these feelings, but again, you're not really sure if you're sort of running in the red zone because maybe you feel like, you know what, what you're describing, that's just normal. That's just life. That's just how it is and we just have to deal with it. But I'd want to say, you know, when I, when I run in the red zone for too long, the behavioral symptoms for me often aren't pretty. When I know I'm living here, I easily become impatient. You know, I can become impatient with, with coworkers or family members, I can be impatient with silly things like, you know, slow drivers or long lines at the grocery store. My fuse often gets a bit shorter with my, my wife and my kids. And for me, I know when I'm, when I'm feeling drained, I can run sort of on autopilot for hours on end, having a tough time engaging with those who are around me. As well, when we run on empty, it often leads to to poor eating habits, poor sleeping habits, and an overall sense of dissatisfaction 
with our lives and our circumstances. So if you can relate to any of that, if you've had those experiences or you know what it feels like to be running on empty, I think it's important to ask ourselves, why do we do this? Why do we do this to ourselves? Why do we run ourselves ragged until our lives are on E with no sign of replenishment in sight? So to explore that question as we start moving towards, you know, figuring out how to live this life to the full, I want to turn back to what Jesus said in John 10.10, the verse, the poster verse for this series that I read earlier. Because I didn't actually read the whole verse. There's more to it, and I want to read the whole thing for you now. Again, this is Jesus speaking, and he says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. The part you'll notice that we didn't read earlier is that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Now the thief that Jesus is referring to here uh, is the spiritual enemy of God, often referred to uh, more personally in the Bible as the devil or Satan. And essentially it's the, the forces of evil in the world that are seeking to subvert or overturn God's good plans for humanity. And it seeks to, to kill and destroy the very life that God gives. And you know, when it comes to, to trying to live life to the full, I think that these forces are at work. And what's interesting is that uh, the spiritual enemy of God is not just described as, as the thief, as Jesus uh, describes him here, but he's also described as the father of lies, the, the father of all lies. And I think there's a few lies that exist in our culture that we buy into causing us to drain our tanks dry. I think it's important for us to become aware of these if we're going to overcome them. One of the first lies that comes to mind for me is the lie that says something like this. It tells us that life is a treadmill. That life is a treadmill and you have to keep on running. You have to keep up the pace. And if you, if you try to slow down, you're likely to fall. Or if you, you try to step off for a minute, life and success is going to pass you by. Have you ever heard that lie whispered to you in our culture? You could almost compare it to a hamster wheel that, you know, you have to keep on running or if you try to stop, it's just going to come to a crashing halt. Life is a treadmill. Another lie that our culture tells us, you know, when it comes to how we could try to fill our tanks is that it's better to escape. It's better to escape. In the midst of our, our overscheduled, fast-paced lives, we begin to believe that the only way to be replenished is to, to try to escape from reality, escape from it all and unplug from our reality and normal life. And this lie can lead to all sorts of addictions that we use as, as coping methods to the, the stresses and anxieties and busyness of life. It also leads to uh, feeling like the only way that we can ever get recharged is to be on vacation and kind of get away from, from normal life. Um, I think of other ways that we indulge in, you know, vicarious lifestyles through uh, excessive reality TV shows or obsessing with sports and the stadium culture and kind of living through some of those experiences or by doing things like binge watching hours upon hours of Netflix. And none of these things are bad in and of themselves, but they only provide such brief moments of rest and satisfaction and fulfillment as we try to escape the, the challenges of our lives. One more lie that I, that I think of, and it's probably the most dangerous when it comes to, to causing us to run on fumes. And it's the lie that attacks our very identity. It's a lie that sounds something like this. 
that you are what you do. That you are what you do. That you're only as good as what you can accomplish, what you get done, how much you can cross off your to-do list compared to other people. I think sometimes this lie manifests, manifests itself to say you are what you own, that your worth is in what you can sort of accumulate so you need to keep up with your neighbors and inquire as much as you can. Or it might say something like you are uh, who you know. And that's part of what has us keep up these frantic social schedules so we can appear at the right parties with the right people at the right times trying to feel accepted and included, but this just continues to, to suck our energy as we keep up a, a facade that everything is okay. You know, with all these things together, the lie of our culture is that you have to run on empty, that you can't get off the treadmill, that you have to keep up with the Joneses, and you can never do enough, get enough, or be enough. And I think we're told all of these things so that we will literally buy into the things that provide just momentary experiences of satisfaction and fulfillment, but obviously, or in the end, ultimately leave us feeling pretty empty after all. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. It's the second half of this verse that we want to buy into it in this series. So with the time I have left this morning, I want to look at scripture to uncover an important life practice a practice that I think can serve as a really good starting point to help us fill our empty tanks and overcome the lies of the, our culture so that we can actually experience this life to the full that Jesus offers. And it begins by understanding how we were created. By understanding that we're created in the image of God. The image of God, a God who actually makes space for rest, replenishment, and enjoyment. So to combat the lies of the, the, the thief, God designed us in his image to both need and also be able to enjoy rest. So to help us see this up close, I want to take a look at Genesis chapter 2, right near the beginning of the Bible as part of the sort of creation narrative. And in Genesis 2 verses 1 to 3, it says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, if you've grown up in the church, you're probably familiar with this passage as part of that creation narrative. But I wonder if some of the things that are most profounded have been lost on you. This is one of the things that was an aha moment for me this week as I was reflecting on it. That the God of the universe who is presumably all-powerful, you know, the source of all life, all strength, all energy, all vitality, that he would actually stop his work, set aside his creation to-do list, and take an entire day to rest. That God would take time to rest, to, to recharge and replenish. You know, this is such a profound aspect of the character of God that I heard someone recently provide a commentary on this section of scripture and they, they said that they felt that the creation narrative was as much about the sacred practice of Sabbath and how in, sort of embedded that is in the character of God as it was about creation itself. And that character, that character has been imprinted on us. Meaning that whether you want to believe it or not, we were made with an inherent need to press pause on a regular basis. Later on in the scriptures, uh, this is affirmed, 
when we see God give instructions to his people in what we commonly understand as the Ten Commandments. So this is one of the Ten Commandments coming from Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 8. It says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, if you didn't know, this is actually one of the, the Ten Commandments, like I said. It's one of the Ten Commandments, and it's incredible because when we think of sort of the prominence of this command for this idea of Sabbath, um, this command actually comes before two others that our society would take pretty seriously and civilization would take pretty seriously as a whole. Uh, commands like do not steal and do not murder. But this idea of God commanding us to take a day to rest comes even before those. And this concept of Sabbath, you may have heard that word before. Uh, it's just a word that comes from the original language, and it simply means the seventh day set apart for rest. Now, the point here as we look at this commandment is not that we're trying to get religious about any particular commandment, because God isn't after religion, but he is interested in our devotion. And he is interested in gifting us with the abundant life available in Jesus. And my challenge to us this morning would be to consider how might incorporating this practice of Sabbath, trying it out in some way, experimenting with that habit, how might it change our lives? How might it help fill our tanks? So when it comes to, to talking about Sabbath, uh, again, what we're talking about is a 24-hour period in our week that we set aside for the purposes of rest, but also reorienting our hearts and our lives to God. You know, traditionally in the Jewish community, uh, Sabbath has been Friday evening to Saturday evening. And in the Christian faith, it's generally been associated with Sunday. But once again, as a starting point, we're not talking about any particular day. Or maybe, you know, you're not even starting with a 24-hour period. Because that may seem like impossible given your, your current reality to try to carve out time for the things we're talking about. But maybe for you, Sabbath starts with an afternoon or an evening or a 12-hour period of some kind. But wherever you begin, or however you want to approach it, uh, I want to share with us four Sabbath principles. Four principles to help us do Sabbath well if we were going to start you know, practicing this, this day of rest in our lives. And these principles, they come from a pastor named Peter, Peter Scazzaro uh, out of New York City. And uh, the first principle on Sabbath is that Sabbath involves stopping. That on Sabbath, there are certain things we need to stop doing. And this we've already alluded to in some of the passages uh, that we've read. And what's interesting is that the, the Hebrew word for work in that passage from the Ten Commandments, it literally means productive activity. And so God says on Sabbath, you are going to stop doing productive activity. And I think in part this is again because uh, we're not machines. We're human beings. We're children of God. And we don't have to constantly be producing and so there's no need to do anything deemed productive on Sabbath. Now, how do we know what this means? And how do we know what kinds of things we should actually stop? You know, what's in bounds? What's out of bounds? And once again, we're not trying to be religious. But uh, let me suggest to you that 
anything that you have to get done, that feels like you have to do, is something worth setting aside on Sabbath. This probably starts with with your work life, you know, if you're working, uh, to actually try to plan your work as much as you have control to have a day off in your week. And this may mean that you actually have to turn off your phone or uh, set an out-of-office notification or, or turn off your email. And these things are easier said than done to truly sort of stop our working. But that's what it means, to, to stop. Uh, it also probably means, you know, stopping chores and errands or, or anything that you might put on a to-do list. That kind of productive activity that can feel like an obligation or a burden. Setting those, sides and, and setting those aside and steering clear of them. And, and what it means then to do Sabbath well is that you have to rearrange the rest of your life to get everything you have to get done in the other six days of the week. And or you have to exercise the discipline of setting, setting aside the to-do list, knowing that it will still be there when Sabbath is over. So the first principle is to stop. Stop doing certain things. The second principle that we've already alluded to as well is to rest. That on Sabbath, we have the opportunity to rest, to catch up and be replenished. As I mentioned, we're not machines. God created us with beautiful limitations, reminding us that we are dependent on him. And our batteries need to be recharged on a regular basis. And so on Sabbath, we have the spiritual permission to rest from work, to rest from hurry, and to rest from other people's expectations. And for some of you, you know, as easy as this is to say, I know some of you probably aren't the best at getting healthy amounts of rest. And I think some of you, this is exactly what you need to hear today. It's exactly what your family needs for you or from you. That it is okay and even biblical to set aside intentional time for rest. And practically speaking, this probably starts by trying to get healthy, you know, have healthy amounts of sleep during the week. But again, it can be augmented by deliberate rest on Sabbath. So, If you've ever been looking for the absolute simplest sermon application, I want to give it to you right now. It's this, and you may want to write this down, three simple words. Take a nap. Take a nap. I know some of you have probably been putting this sermon into practice, you know, started about five minutes ago. If that's you, uh, feel free to just keep on leading by example. But to get some rest, take a nap, go to bed early, sleep in, catch up on some rest. Now, the third, the third principle, and I'll point out that these first two, they're, they're sort of principles of disengagement, things that we press pause from. But the third one, according to Pete Scazzaro, to do Sabbath well, is to delight. What he would call delighting. That on Sabbath, we get to do things that we enjoy. Because God is a God of joy. He's a God of enjoyment. And it brings him great pleasure and glory to see his kids delight in the goodness of life and creation, and in the way that he created them, the kinds of special interests that we enjoy. And I'm sure for some of us, we've long lost the idea of having any kind of hobby or interest that we engage in just for the heck of it. But on Sabbath, it's important to find things that we enjoy that then become a source of refueling us. And, you know, some examples might be going for a hike if you're a person that just needs to get out in nature. You know, maybe it's, it's playing with your kids or playing some games together as a family might be reading a good book or playing your favorite sport. Maybe it's going to a concert or or spending time with friends and loved ones. But whatever it is, it's finding something you do that you enjoy to make space for on a regular basis. Now, one word of caution I would want to give when it comes to delighting on Sabbath is that what you don't want to do is jam-pack your day so full of the fun activities of life 
that it actually just wears you out. Uh, that overindulging on Sabbath can be one of the quickest ways to drain our tanks. I know a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had a really fun weekend planned. It was almost a 48-hour staycation, a 48-hour Sabbath, if you will. And, you know, we went to a baseball game on Thursday night. I took my son and my nephew to the Canadian Open on Friday. That was followed by a barbecue. And then on Saturday, we were you know, at the park as a family, went to the driving range, and then watched a movie Saturday night. And by the time my head hit the pillow, I was exhausted. And I kind of felt like I needed a day of, of resting and stopping to catch up before my regular work routines. So you don't want to over-busy yourself with delight. All of these things need to be kept in balance to be able to embrace the gift of Sabbath. Now finally, the fourth principle of Sabbath, and the one that's probably sort of most important for us, where we're going to land this morning, it's the thing that sets Sabbath apart from just an average, you know, good day off. It's what Pete Scazzaro would describe as taking time to contemplate. Taking time to contemplate. Or another way to say it, to help you understand what we mean here, is to make space in your life for God. To, de to deliberately make space for the things that matter most and allow God to be infused into your life. You know, to spend some of the best energy of, of our week appreciating, celebrating, and reflecting on the significance of our lives and the role that God wants to play in them. It's making space for God in the midst of our, our stopping, our resting, and our delighting. And this is where we can tap into the source of life that truly fills and sustains our personal gas tank. As, as we talked about last week, if you heard last week's message, it's the chance to come to the living well that provides the water from which we'll never thirst again. So how do we do this? Sort of what, what does it look like to actually start contemplating if, if some of those ideas are new to you? Some simple ways is to start by picking up your Bible. You know, spending 15 minutes reading your Bible or maybe a good Christian book. Or spending some time in prayer, thinking of people you could pray for in your life or, or prayer requests of things that you're dealing with. Or spending time journaling and reflecting and praying that way. It can also mean being deliberate about initiating meaningful conversation with your friends or family. You know, asking questions with spiritual substance and being open and vulnerable about your hopes, your dreams, your anxieties, or your fears. But all in all, the value of comp contemplation is about looking to Jesus and slowing down long enough to receive the abundant life that he offers. Again, this is where sort of the rubber meets the road of Sabbath. This is the, the make or break of what it means to really orient our lives in a way that allow God, allows God to pour the fullness of life into our lives. To give us one more picture of this, I want to close uh, by sharing a story uh, that we find in Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, there's this story where uh, Jesus has been out on a, a long and tiring ministry episode with his disciples, and he's actually looking for some R&R &R himself, you know, maybe a little Sabbath for himself. And he comes to the house of some of his friends where he's going to take some time to unwind. And in the story, in, in the, the friends, uh, the hosts at this home, there are two characters. There are two sisters. One is named Martha, and one is named Mary. And at the surprise visit of their great friend and teacher in Jesus, Martha starts to get pretty anxious. She starts to get pretty worked up to try to do everything that needs to be done. You know, make all of the preparation. She's running back and forth from the kitchen to the living room, setting everything up, trying to make sure the to-do list is being crossed off, that everything is just so, you know, trying to be the hostess with the mostess. 
And it's actually making her quite frustrated. But as a contrast, but at the same time, we see her sister Mary. And Mary is simply sitting at the feet of Jesus, gazing into his eyes, listening intently to the stories he shared, the lessons he taught, and the vision for life that he embodied. This only makes Martha feel more bitter and resentful towards her sister, her sister's lack of productivity. So we'll pick up the story here in verse 40, where we read this. It says, Martha came to Jesus and she asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. You can hear the frustration in her voice. But Jesus answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. You are worried and upset about many things. Can you relate to that in your life? But Jesus said, few things are needed or indeed only one. And Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. So we reflect on this story and you think about those two experiences of Martha and Mary. I wonder who can you relate to in your life? You know, have you been behaving and feeling a little bit more like Martha? Where you're obsessed with getting everything done, trying to make everything perfect, trying to cross everything off of your to-do list constantly? And it makes you feel worried and upset about many things? Or it makes you feel bitter and, and judgmental towards others who aren't doing as much as you? Or maybe it just puffs you up and gives you a sense of pride and arrogance to see how much you can accomplish in so little time. If that's you, how, how has that been working for you? Or have you been like Mary, being aware of and attentive to the things that truly satisfy, and being willing and open to set aside everything that has to be done in order to embrace the things that mean everything? Setting, setting aside everything that has to be done in order to embrace the things that mean everything. So regardless of who you've been, who do you want to be today? Regardless of where your needle on the gas gauge of life has been, where do you want it to be today? You know, we've been talking about experience, experimenting with this practice of Sabbath, and I hope you'll try to, to build some of that into your routine this week, maybe blocking off a period of time where you engage in some of these principles. And beyond that, I'd encourage you to even consider how can you how can you bring mini Sabbaths into your day? Mini times with Jesus. Times to just sit and be with Jesus. Maybe it starts by reading your Bible or spending time in prayer for five minutes a day. And I'd want to say that there's no question that being here in an environment like this, joining us on Sunday mornings, is a great way to engage in some of these principles of Sabbath, especially if Sunday is a day off for you. But ultimately, this isn't about just some new ideas or information. It's not just about trying to rearrange our calendars. This is all about transformation. And this is all about who you want to become. I know for me, if I'm honest with you, you know, the lies that I mentioned earlier, the lies that life is a treadmill and you have to keep on running, you, you can't get off, you have to keep up with the pace, or the lies that say you are what you do and your only good is your accomplishments and how much you can cross off your to-do list, these lies, they are whispering into my life constantly. They're whispering in the back of my mind, the back of my heart. And they often drive me to drain my tank at times right until it's empty. 
And not only does that make me feel just worn out and tired, but what it doesn't do, it doesn't make me the person that I want to be. It doesn't help me become the person I want to become. And just a few years ago, uh, I had a couple of instances where just the, the pace of life was busy. You know, work felt like such a, such a demanding season. We had our kids really small. And I felt like I was carrying more than I could manage. And there was a couple of times where I was feeling so overwhelmed. You know, I didn't know if I could take it anymore. And I thought maybe at times I was on the verge of a breakdown. I'd never really felt like that before. But I experienced a few of those moments. And in those same seasons, you know, over the course of a couple of years, I had I had heard a few times people speak to this idea of Sabbath and how desperately we need to reclaim this in our 21st century pace of life. And I remember hearing that thinking, you know what? This sounds fantastic. This is such a a good concept. You know, I, I think I really need this. I think my family really needs this. But at those times, I would just sort of tuck it away as this nice theory and then go on buying into the lives that would drive me until I was running on empty. And I'd feel impatient and ungrateful, feel disengaged from those around me and constantly feel like I'm just giving in to the expectations of others while letting down the people closest to me. And I know some of us here today probably can relate to that. Some of us probably feel that way. Or maybe you know you're one more sort of busy season away from a breakdown yourself. What I want to tell you is that that's not life to the full. That's not the life that Jesus came to bring. So what lie have you been believing? What lie have you been buying into? And what kind of life do you want? Because if you're like me, I think you'll begin to know that unless you change something in your life, you're always going to be running on empty. So are you prepared to begin making space to set aside everything that needs to get done in order to embrace the things that mean everything? You know, do you want a life that's running on fumes, overscheduled and exhausted, trying to keep up with your neighbors or outproduce your competitors? Or do you want a life that is truly satisfying, truly full, in tune with the power and presence of God, setting aside time for the things that matter most? I hope that's what we'll choose today. I hope you'll try incorporating a test drive of Sabbath into your life this week. And ultimately, I hope you'll discover what is better. You know, the gift of life, life to the full that Jesus longs to give. Let me pray for you as we close. Jesus, we thank you that you came to bring the most beautiful, most abundant, most gratifying version of life. And we know that there are things that we sort of succumb to and buy into that that cause us to miss out on that. Those lies, if they're as constant for me as they are for others, they can be hard to ignore. I pray that you would set us free uh, from those. And I'd pray, especially for anyone here this morning who felt like, you know, yes, my, my tank is empty. I've been running in the red zone and it's hurting my relationships. It's hurting my work life. It's hurting my sanity and it's hurting my relationship with you. God, would you intervene and would you help them Be open to reorienting their heart and their life to make space for you to pour yourself into them. Because you bring rest. You remove our burdens and you rescue us from the running on empty lives that we're so tempted to live. So I pray that you would do that in us this morning. 
And we thank you that you, you can and you will. We pray in your name, amen.